Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Good Monday morning. Welcome to the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Is it just me or does it feel like in some ways we were just here saying happy Friday? <laughs> It's Monday again. Start another work week for most of us. I hope you had a great weekend. An opportunity to unplug, relax. And now we're right into the madness again of another week. Developing story right now. Donald Trump entered the courtroom in New York City just a few minutes ago. He will be testifying in his civil case. This is going to be a very interesting development this morning, a civil fraud trial that has been underway for many days now. We'll have more information on this coming up a little bit later. And also some interesting developments regarding the 2024 presidential race as it is shaping up for now. And really what amount to dire concerns being expressed out of many Democrats about the state of this presidential election a year out. We will talk about this coming up. Middle East headlines, 2024 politics. Also, we will delve into aspects of Joe Biden's vulnerabilities. Race is one of them. This is pretty interesting. More and more people in the black community expressing misgiving about Joe Biden. It's not a pretty picture. And how is it when you have a former senior advisor for your former boss, as in President Obama, suggesting you ought to drop out? Yes, it happened this weekend. We'll talk about this. A decision on impeachment could be coming very soon. We've got the inquiry going on. But will this move on to full-fledged impeachment? Some polling information. Who would you rather have as president? Trump or Joe Biden? The Biden people cannot be very pleased by results of this CBS poll. We will talk about it. I also mentioned Donald Trump. He's testifying in a civil fraud trial this morning. Also in the presidential contest, a big endorsement in Iowa. I won't give you any hints about this, but it is going to be interesting to see how much this endorsement carries. We'll just put it that way. We'll also hear from the wife of Ron DeSantis. It's a very interesting clip from her. Very entertaining. (laughs) You'll hear this coming up a little bit later on. And the Kentucky governor's race, it was not too close days ago. And now a new poll showing it is razor thin, the margin between the current governor and the Republican challenging that governor. Closer to home, we'll have a conversation with a city councilman who would like to stay in office and believes there are very important reasons that he should. Just a preview of some of the things I better get to today because there is a lot to cover. I want to begin with some things that are right with this world. Interesting, both of these items are in the world of sports. Damar Hamlin. You remember DeMar, the Buffalo Bills safety. He's taking steps to honor the medical team that helped to save his life. On Sunday, he launched a scholarship program for Cincinnati youths. Hamlin's Charitable Foundation, Chasing M's, awarding a thousand scholarships to 10 individuals from the area's underserved communities for each of the next three years. Each of the individual scholarships will be named after the 10 first responders, nurses, and doctors who treated Hamlin after he went into cardiac arrest 
and was resuscitated on the field during a game in Cincinnati, January 2nd. This is a guy who gets it. His heart is so full of gratitude. It shows, doesn't it? The announcement coincides with the Bills' first return to Cincinnati to play the Bengals Sunday night. Hamlin and the Bills unveiled the scholarship program during dinner with the 10 Lifesavers. Pretty cool stuff. He said, I'm humbled by the opportunity to set up a scholarship program to honor this team of professionals, my Cincinnati heroes, who helped to save my life. Today, as look at honoring the Cincinnati heroes, lifting up young people who are trying to find their way, I'm reminded of the enormous blessing I've been given through my charity and the generosity of people around the world. Growing up in the Pittsburgh area, Hamlin, the recipient of a scholarship that allowed him to attend Central Catholic High School, eventually went on to play for the University of Pittsburgh and was drafted by the Bills in 2021. Though Hamlin established his foundation while still in college to give back to local youths, it wasn't until his collapse and recovery that led to Chasing M's attracting more than $9 million in contributions. Isn't this awesome? He's since used his charity to distribute automated external defibrillators to community sports associations and promote CPR training. Who knows how many lives this is going to affect. 25-year-old Hamlin resumed his career by making the Bills roster in August. He's only appeared in one game this season, not expected to play. The fifth and final safety on Buffalo's depth chart. This guy is a class act. Class act. Also, baseball. Congratulations in order for Corey Seager. From Kannapolis, World Series champion and MVP, his second World Series MVP award, making him only the fourth person to ever win two World Series MVP honors. This guy's 29 years old, a Northwest Cabarrus graduate, joining Sandy Koufax. Think of that. Bob Gibson, Reggie Jackson, as the only two-time World Series most valuable players with his trio of two-run homers against the Arizona Diamondbacks. In this World Series, Seager batted 286 over five games against the Diamondbacks. Three home runs, errorless defense, the shortstop spot. One of those three home runs, Seager's clutch game. His clutch game-tying blast in the ninth inning of Game 1. Also named MVP of the World Series in 2020, playing for the L.A. Dodgers. Northwest Cabarrus coach Joe Hubbard has been coaching 33 years. He says many folks recognized early that Seager had the talent to go to the major leagues and excel, and that's what he's done. Winning World Series MVP honors for the Dodgers in 2020, the Rangers, Wednesday night. Hubbard saying it's just unreal to think about this guy, where he was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, walking our halls in our field house, playing for us, and now you're watching him and he's arguably one of the best postseason players of all time. Hubbard recalled one special moment in Seager's high school career that really stood out for him. It was his sophomore year in the playoffs against Charlotte Catholic. With two outs, the runner on base, he doubled. Drove in the run. We won 4-3 to three in the fourth round. It's pretty special. Seager also excelled as a student, though he wasn't at Northwest Cabarrus. When Seager was there, current principal Chris Myers knows of Seager's work ethic and personality. Just about doing it the right way, according to Myers. Being modest, putting the work in, that's what sometimes we forget. This took a lot of hard work for Corey to get where he was, but throughout that time, he was an exceptional teammate, a great student, respectful. You never hear a bad thing said about Corey Seeker. Pretty exciting stuff, and I'm sure so many folks in Kannapolis are very very proud. Coming up, we will delve into all of the news that is developing headlines in the Middle East, headlines in politics, looking ahead to 2024. That and much more as we continue our Monday broadcast. 
Can you believe we're just a couple of weeks away from Thanksgiving? And the Charlotte Rescue Mission needs your help to provide a holiday meal for those in need this Thanksgiving by providing a complete Thanksgiving food box, a family, will be able to share in the spirit of Thanksgiving. Please send an email for details to Thanksgiving at charlotterescuemission.org. That's Thanksgiving at charlotterescuemission.org for details on the items needed for each box. Let me just tell you what's needed, what you can provide that will really make a difference. Green beans, 38-ounce can, whole kernel corn, 29-ounce can. That's a jumbo can. Cut sweet yams, a 40-ounce can. Just an example of some of the things you can do to provide for a wonderful Thanksgiving. And again, this is what this season's all about, right? Sharing, caring, and we hope that you will be able to share in the spirit of Thanksgiving. If you'd like to join our broadcast this morning, our phone number is 7045 Your thoughts welcome on all of the things we discuss during the course of the broadcast today. Some drudge headlines on the Middle East first. Escalating attacks on American troops risk Washington-Tehran confrontation. U.S. nuke sub arrives in the Middle East. Russia expanding military in Libya. Protesters worldwide call for Israel's elimination. Boy, there's a shocker. Marchers White House chant. Allahu Akbar and F. Biden. Charming. IDF poised for battle for Gaza City. How Israel shot down ballistic missile in space. Secrecy shrouds targeting process. Minister suspended after nuke talk. Arab citizens say they face growing backlash. Bibi son under kidnapping threat while hiding in USA. French Jews stabbed at home. Swastika left on door. And the Saudis stick to planned oil cuts. Great friends of ours, aren't they? 2024 politics, the rematch, the rematch that polls have shown most people do not want. Trump leads five swing states. Conviction could sink Biden, still the top bet. And Iowa governor endorses DeSantis. Hmm. Just a sampling of some of the major headlines, the major stories developing now. One of the interesting stories that is developing on the presidential front, it's quite ironic. What was it that helped to resurrect Joe Biden's pathetic, feeble campaign back in 2020? What was it? It was South Carolina and black voters. Remember Jim Clyburn? Many credit him with helping to resurrect this campaign. Interestingly enough, here's the headline now in Axios. Behind the curtain, Biden's race problem. And it's growing. It emerged quietly in the 2020 election when Biden won, but lost ground among Hispanics and black voters. Now... This is an alarming, re-election-threatening, full-blown crisis for the White House. It's clear from consistent trends across multiple polls, Biden is bleeding support among Hispanic voters and black voters, especially younger ones, especially in swing states. Biden is losing support after his rival Donald Trump was indicted four times on a total of 91 counts. And as the former president continues to court white voters with inflammatory rhetoric... Racially inflammatory rhetoric. (laughs) I love this stuff. In one fascinating way, Biden is morphing into Trump when it comes to his base. It's old and white voters who seem most solid in their support. Biden has retained the entirety of his support among older white voters. Sunday's New York Times poll of six swing states, all of which Biden won last time, was brutal. While we're skeptical of any one poll... 
this one's directionally in line with others. Let these unthinkable findings sink in. Biden's support among non-white voters dropped 33 points compared to 2020. The more diverse the state, the worse Biden does. Huh? (laughs) How is this for a total reverse of fortune from 2020? Trump's support among black voters popped to 22 points, which the Times called unseen in presidential politics for Republican and modern times. Biden's lead among Hispanics is in single digits in the six swing states polled. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Democrats typically win among Hispanics by 30-plus votes. He's in the single digits, folks. A CBS News YouGov poll out Sunday. Similarly, worrisome finding for Democrats. Hispanic voters are much likelier to say their finances would improve under Trump than Mr. Biden. And most black voters do not expect their finances to change if Mr. Biden wins again. Hispanic ranchers, Mexican-American oil workers, non-college educated Latino voters shifting measurably from Democrats with potentially devastating electoral repercussions. Russell Contreras, who studied the Latino vote back to JFK's victory in 1960. Reasons now include rural issues like opposition to protections for endangered species, plus efforts to move away from fossil fuels with no immediate alternative for well-paying jobs. Among black voters, stress from inflation, interest rates, and the cost of cars and housing, and, and housing, it's hurting Biden. So what does the Biden administration have to say about this? What do they have to say about this? Well, we'll talk about this, and you'll hear some more assessment, and you'll be surprised which network this assessment comes from. It is pure panic. <laughs> Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 1036, the Vince Coakley radio program. So I'm telling you about Biden's problem with Hispanics and black voters. So what does the administration think of this? Well, Biden's advisors point out voters aren't paying attention a year before Election Day. Its aides contend popularity of the president's record on infrastructure, jobs and climate will bring the Democratic voters home. Of course it will. Biden campaign spokesman Kevin Muniz noted predictions a year from an election are often wrong, pointed to a Gallup poll from October 2011 that put President Obama down eight points among registered voters a year later. He won re-election by four. President Biden's campaign is hard at work, reaching and mobilizing our diverse winning coalition of voters one year out on the choice between our winning popular agenda and MAGA Republicans unpopular extremism. But Axios says the reality check is, yes, it's one year out from the election. Yes, polls are fallible. But Biden's political team sees similar trends in their own data. And here is anecdotally of similar concerns from elected officials. And Democrats are flummoxed over how to fix this. (laughs) Their record-setting spending on infrastructure and jobs did little to move the needle. Inflation seems to suck away any joy from new jobs. On immigration and crime, the party's too divided for Biden to take the harder-line public approach many voters seem to want. Even Biden's administration is divided, top officials tell us. Liberal Jews and many minority Democratic leaders are locked in a bitter fight over Israel's response to the Hamas terrorist attack. Biden officials know that rift could deepen if the war escalates. Biden is all in on betting his base voters will return once they see the likely side-by-side choice of Biden versus Trump in the general election. At this point, there's no other bet to make. It's all they've got. So, that's Axios. Let's go to 
every conservative's favorite network, CNN, and a conversation on Anderson Cooper's show. How concerned are these folks? Well, we turn to this conversation Anderson Cooper had with Van Jones, who is a CNN political commentator and former Obama advisor, and Jonathan King. Let's first hear what Van Jones had to say about the level of concern about black voters and their lack of support for Joe Biden. Uh, there's, there's no word big enough uh, for the amount of concern uh, because um, people are just hurt. Uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Um, I think when you remember 2008, uh, the hope, and 2016, the determination, 2020, uh, 2016, people kind of took their, their foot off the gas with Hillary Clinton. Um, I think that uh, police reform, nothing. Um, criminal justice reform, nothing. Voting rights, nothing. Like the things that black people came out and voted for and voted about, George Floyd, uh, uh, the John Lewis civil rights, nothing has gotten done on the black uh, uh, card. And so it's starting to feel like, wow, like, you know, the economy isn't that good and our issues didn't get taken seriously and what are we supposed to do? And, and I also think that people think that black people are going to be single issue voters. We don't like Donald Trump. I don't think that's smart. There might be some black single issue anti-Trump voters, but you also got people who are having a problem filling up their gas tank and they've got other stuff that, con- that they're concerned about. Other stuff they're concerned about. See, and this is where the Democrat playbook really falls short because it's all about fear scaring people donald trump again these mega republicans these racists you know the drum that they beat over and over again but you started to hear van jones talk about the fact ultimately that beating the drum on this trump issue and stirring up fear you know it ain't gonna be enough Look, there will be some people like, you know, just not liking Trump is enough. But there's other people who feel like, man, like, what do we have to do? We, we, we stand in these long lines for hours and hours and hours. Uh, you know, we, we're getting gerrymandered. We have to fight so hard just to vote. And then the neighborhood's not any better. And then affirmative action gets taken away. And then the voting rights is worse. And the gerrymandering is worse. And nothing is happening. So I'm just saying this is the moment right now. After a campaign and you know, people have gotten a chance to go out there and make the argument and really get close to making the comparison, it may change. It could shift. There's a fight to be had. But I just want people to know you're not starting from a 2008-2012 Barack Obama high enthusiasm from black voters. You're starting from the opposite. If you don't know that, you're not going to appoint, you're not going to volunteer right, you're not going to donate right, and the Democrats are going to be caught sleeping at the wheel. Mm. And driving this home, conversation with Jonathan King, who makes the point at the end of the day, a lot of these minority groups, Hispanics, blacks in particular, when it comes to Joe Biden, they are completely unmotivated. Listen up. The older black voters, women are often the glue in these black communities, Anderson. When you mm-hmm. hear women say, you know, people died for my right to vote, and then women had the fight to, right to vote, and I might not vote? I mean, it's stunning, and it actually like, it blows away the organizers who have done this in campaign after campaign after campaign. One of the reasons this block group is out there now every day is they understand how to have the challenges. You know, Van has done this for a living. They're knocking every week. They do neighborhood cleanups. They do everything to be in touch with these people because they know everyone's going to be knocking and calling and texting next November, and they want to be the familiar face. But I'm telling you, we knew it was bad from our phone calls before we went out there. It, it, is, it is beyond bleak. It's You heard the young Black man, Devontae Johnson right there, not sure who he's going to vote for. Might vote for Trump. Voted third party last time. Older black women saying, I might not vote. For an older black woman to say that after all they've lived through, it just tells you everything about their despondency, their disappointment. They look around and they don't see change, and they also don't see the president. He better get out there. Wow. I mean, CNN is giving advice here. He better get out there. And I'm not sure that's going to help. What are you going to see when he gets out there? Some frail old man who doesn't even know where he is. This cannot be good. And I remind you again, it's further evidence. I believe this guy is going to step out of the picture. I don't think this can go on another year. I 
don't think so. What are your thoughts? As we continue our broadcast, our phone number 704-570-1110, as if all of that wasn't enough, how about a senior advisor for your former boss saying it might be time for you to drop out? We'll talk about this much more as we continue the broadcast. So if all this concern about minorities and their lack of support for Joe Biden isn't enough, how about the man who used to be Barack Obama's senior senior advisor going on a Sunday program and making some incendiary comments? At least that's how I would view them. David Axelrod suggesting President Biden drop out of the 2024 presidential race. Drop out. Pointing to a New York Times and Siena College poll published Sunday, Axelrod wrote on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, it's very late to change horses. A lot will happen in the next year that no one can predict, and Biden's team says his resolve to run is firm. Arguing Biden is justly proud of his accomplishments, Axelrod said Biden's poll numbers will send tremors of doubt through the Democratic Party. Not bedwetting, but legitimate concern, Axelrod writes. Trump is a dangerous, unhinged demagogue whose brazen disdain for the rules, norms, laws, and institutions or democracy should be disqualifying. Axelrod wrote in a separate post, but the stakes of miscalculation here are too dramatic to ignore. Only Joe Biden can make this decision. If he continues to run, he will be the nominee of the Democratic Party. What he needs to decide is whether that is wise, whether it's in his best interests or the country's. <laughs> I think we can answer that pretty quickly. This poll found Biden trailing Trump in five of six battleground states, including Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania, by margins of three to ten percentage points among registered voters in Wisconsin. Biden ahead by two. Poll's findings serve as a major blow to Biden's campaign after the incumbent carried all six states in 2020 against Trump. Biden's re-election campaign has faced growing concerns from voters within his own party over his age and policy actions on various issues, notably the economy. Get a load of this. The poll found 71% of registered voters said they agree to some degree Biden is just too old to be an effective president. Only 39% said the same about Trump. They're not far off in age, folks. As to Biden has the mental sharpness to be an effective president, 62% of participants said no. 35% agree with the statement. 52% of participants said they believe Trump has the mental sharpness to be an effective president. 44% said he does not. Biden has faced criticism over his age since the 2020 campaign. This criticism has continued throughout his time in the White House. At 80, Biden is the oldest U.S. president in history. And if elected in 2024, he would be 86 at the end of his second term. Let me just tell you, that ain't going to happen. Axelrod calling Biden's age his biggest liability and something he cannot change. Among all the unpredictables, there's one thing that is sure. The age arrow only points in one direction. Axelrod's comments follow a series of calls from some Democrats who suggested Biden's age makes him too old to run for re-election. Presidents argued it's fair for voters to discuss his age, but he said they should judge him on his ability to perform the job. <laughs> don't want to go there. At least I don't think so. And then we have this before we delve into more polling information, which is not good. Speaker Mike Johnson indicating the House is nearing a decision on whether to move on articles of impeachment against President Biden. Asked during a news conference if he believes there's enough evidence to move on articles of impeachment against Biden, Johnson said, I do believe very soon we're coming to a point of decision on this. Later adding, we're going to follow the evidence where it leads and we'll see. I'm not going to predetermine right now. 
I've been very consistent, intellectually consistent in this, persistent. We have to follow due process and we have to follow the law. That means following our obligation on the Constitution and doing appropriate investigations in the right way at the right pace. So the evidence comes in. We follow the evidence where it leads. You follow the truth where it leads. So there you go. (laughs) I think they're they're going to find that this is only going to lead in one direction especially as there are more revelations about these money transfers. One more bit of polling information that's not encouraging at all for this administration. Most Americans said they believe they would be better off financially and the U.S. would be kept out of war if former President Trump was reelected to the White House. This isn't Rasmussen, folks. CBS News poll, 45% of Americans believe they would be better off financially if the former president succeeds in his third bid for the White House. 32% they would be financially worse off if Trump wins. 23, no change. Biden fared worse than Trump among poll respondents when asked about the economy. 48% of voters said they would be worse off if Biden secures a second term. Just 18% said they would be better off financially. This is dismal. 34 think they will stay about the same. When it comes to whether the U.S. will be kept out of war in the near future, voters instill more confidence in Trump than Biden in keeping the country out of wars. 43% of voters said the chances the U.S. would get involved in a war would decrease if Trump won next year's election. 39% said the chances would increase under Trump. If Biden clinches the presidency in 2024, 49% of voters said the chances of the U.S. being in a war would increase. Another 23% said the chances would decrease. 23% said it would not change. So, on just about every metric, it's really ugly. Still to come, we'll talk about Donald Trump. He is testifying at this hour in a civil trial. We'll update you on what is happening there. Also, we'll come closer to home. Important city council race here in the city of Charlotte. That much more on the Vince Coakley radio program. Stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hour number two of the Vince Coakley Radio Program on this Monday, still to come. An update on what's going on with the Donald Trump civil trial. He is actually on the stand this morning. We'll find out what happened in the courtroom, perhaps a little bit later on. Let's first go to the sprawling metropolis of Cherville. And here is Steve. Good morning, Steve, and welcome. Good morning, Vince. Good good to hear your show. Hey, Vince, I got a news flash. There's actually three people in this presidential race. A recent Quinnipiac poll puts... Uh, RFK Jr., the dark horse, the long eyes, odds at 22%. I think and Trump gets about 35 and, and Biden 37. But the major media's got this. I don't know why they're hell-bent on saying it's a two-way race. We got three horses in this race. What do you think, Bill? Vince, we have three I, or not? I think uh, this. Uh, there's no telling, and certainly by next year, if he can build some momentum, and people especially want an alternative to these two old guys, uh, you've got a uh, big race on your hands. Steve, very much appreciate the point that you have made here. It makes a whole lot of sense. A lot close, closer to home and closer in terms of it's actually tomorrow. We have an election here in the city of charlotte and a very important race that's going on it's been interesting for me to live in this city for 30 years i come to this city with republican mayors for a number of years 
And now I've watched as this city has become bluer and bluer and bluer. One of those areas in the city of Charlotte that is not blue is District 6, City Council District 6. It is a seat that is now occupied by Tark Bakari, who joins us on the program this morning. Uh, welcome back, sir. How are you today? Great, Vince. Great to hear your voice, buddy. Well, I want to start off and talk about your campaign here. It's been quite interesting, to say the least. And I, I'm curious, because um, I know that um, so many people uh, depend on you <laughs> as a person who is a standard bearer for Republicans here in Charlotte and Mecklenburg County. Uh, why is it so important that you get reelected? Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's a couple reasons to that, in my opinion. And, and one is for the individual contributions that I'm able to very uniquely make. And I think, you know, I, I focus in really hard on some niche areas like recruiting tech companies and businesses to town, solving, you know, the, the worst unsolvable problems that we face, whether it's, you know, flea market vendors being dislocated or Eastland Mall. So, you know, all of those things are, are important and I think unique to how I approach things and what I'm able to do. But then there's this other piece of like in the bluing city, like you mentioned, where there really aren't many conservative voices at all to be able to kind of stand up and give a balanced, you know, conversation, a chance around here. And that's, you see it on the County commission when you think they're debating um, and you're hearing all sides of the argument, you're only actually hearing the left side of the argument there. And while there's no danger of us winning any major conservative agendas that are going to come and, and, and rule in Charlotte, it's really important for the people that live here to be able to see, okay, well, what is the counterpoint to that? Even if it doesn't win, and being able to step up in times when our police officers are thrown under the bus and morale is really low and crime is out of control, you know, the, the, losing that, that perspective, that that balance and and really diversity of thought right i care about diversity greatly but all kinds of diversity so i think that's really important and then i think finally you know district six is i've said this many times it's bluing i don't know i don't believe it's done yet but there's a point in time here in the not too distant future where a republican won't ever be able to win that seat again and um you know that it's important for us to fight and hold on um to make sure that we maintain a little bit of that balance you know, I was going to ask you that very question as to the trend that's happening in this particular district. Beyond this, how do you see not just yourself, but really the Republican Party being able to engage people? Because I, and, and I talk about this all the time on this broadcast, Hark, that, that I really believe that there's a great deal of consensus on a number of issues that affect us that really cut across political lines and uh do you believe you're you're that kind of person who's able to who's able to reach people and bridge that gap that even Democrats can say, you know what, this is a reasonable guy and we share values. We may not agree on everything politically, but we share the same common foundational values. Yeah. I mean I, I you know, I'm I'm always aspirational in, in my view of humanity, right? Sometimes it's tough to feel that way, but I always maintain that and I, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I'm, I'm able to work across party lines, across even the Republican Party of folks who are fractured and believe in one thing or another. And, and But here's where I, I see a big problem, and that is something has happened. It's always been like this to some extent, but something has happened in the last five or ten years where the Republicans in top 20-size cities, but Charlotte being the use case here, have completely almost disconnected from local politics. Everything is so kind of, you know, sexy and, and high profile at national and global politics that those who are engaged are engaged there. They're passionate. They either hate what's happening, they love what's happening, things like that. But like what I try to tell them and remind them is, you know, the vast majority of the things that actually touch your life are happening right around here. And while they're not R&D, the R side of things brings more of a logical, fiscal kind of, you know, end outcome perspective rather than an emotional, empathetic leading aspect that the other side of the aisle will bring. Both are important, but you have to have a rounded conversation. And I just like, I can't 
I can't get them to engage here locally. The apathy has continued to grow. And now if you're in a room of any 10 Charlotte Republicans, and there still are a lot left, there's 20% of the city that's made up by Republicans. If you're in a room with 10 of them, eight of them at least aren't even engaging or voting or having their voice heard. And that's, I mean, that's to me where it's a, it's a, it's just a shame. And I hope that we see a difference tomorrow on election day where that trend is a little bit reversed from and what will hopefully be an anomaly that we saw last summer. Do you think part of what's happened here, and uh, we only have about a minute left in this segment, is that people feel, a lot of Republicans locally feel a sense of futility because of what you were describing there, the demographic change, and therefore there's this sense of, you know what, this is ultimately a losing battle anyway. Do you think that's part of what's happening here? I think that's that's probably the vast the vast driver of everything. Where you know I've, we've all heard the kind of things for ten years of really good Republicans set up, and they're like, "I'm moving to Union County. I'm going over there." And you know we've had a lot of people move to places like that and just give up because they're like, oh, we, just, "We don't have anybody. We've been gerrymandered. All this stuff." What the message I've been trying to hammer home for the last three or four years, everywhere I go, is the Cortez burn the ships thing. It's like you know if you. If you give up on this, these are the front lines of this battle, and that and those front lines will, will move out, and they will find you. And this is where, if you leave them to experiment without a counter-narrative, we're in big trouble. So while that may seem disheartening to a lot of folks that give up, my battle cry to everyone is, do not give up on Charlotte. This is where the battle is, and we have to fight it, and you have to turn out on Election Day for us to even start uh, winning winning this uh, this conversation. Let's talk uh, in about 30 seconds, uh, your final appeal to people um, who will be going out, hopefully, to vote tomorrow in your district. Yeah. No, I mean, if, if you live here and, and that cry resonates with you and, and you haven't given up yet, then you have to get out and vote and you have to bring five of your friends who believe the same thing, that crime is indeed out of control, despite what you've been marketed. Our officer morale is low. And places like Chicago didn't happen overnight, right? It, our transportation is a mess. We are focused on fake things like light rail that aren't even possible to work rather than focusing on a roads first plan. Atlanta didn't happen overnight. Panhandling and homelessness. Panhandlers own our, our intersections. We have tent cities and we're sitting here trying to pander rather than try to actually with empathy solve the problem. San Francisco didn't happen overnight. If you love our city, you have to get up tomorrow, take a couple friends, and go have your voice heard that we're not any of those cities yet, but those cities didn't happen overnight. All right. We uh, very much appreciate your passion, Tark Vakari, who represents the 6th District in uh, Charlotte. We wish you the best of luck. Uh, we will be praying for you as well. Hope everything goes well and look forward to talking with you very soon, sir. Thanks, my friend. So there is your directive, ladies and gentlemen, especially if you live in that district. And I think, you know, I touched on this, that it can be so easy for us to uh, just give up. And I think what you've heard has been a clarion call. We've got to stand now more than ever on these consequential issues locally that can make all the difference in the world. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back in the Vince Coakley radio program, 21 minutes after the hour of 11 o'clock. And a reminder, election day tomorrow. So, and I, I think about this too in the context, I had several friends, I'm trying to remember, I assume it was two years ago when they were running for city council. And it was just a bloodbath. One of the problems is, we just have trouble getting Republicans out in elections. There are enough people out there that, especially in an off election, um, 
some of these seats are winnable. But there's just such lack of interest and complacency. So how does that change? I'm, I'm very curious. I want to get your perspective on this as to why you believe there is such complacency. Is it really that simple? There's a sense of futility here. Quite curious. All right. We haven't heard from this guy in a while. So uh, we'll give him a little bit of a shot here. All right, Willie, welcome back. How are you? Are you there? Apparently, we're having that phone issue creeping back again. We'll see if we hear back from our friend, Willie. I want to give you an update on what is taking place today. We have the civil trial, the civil fraud trial for Donald Trump. And today is very different because Donald Trump himself is actually giving testimony. The result of this could be $250 million in damages and the end of his ability to do business in New York State. The judge has already ruled Trump, his sons, Eric and Donald Jr., a couple of executives in the Umbrella Trump Organization committed years of fraud by overvaluing real estate for better terms on loans and insurance. So today, Donald Trump himself is speaking, and we have an update on what has happened to the courtroom. First, I was listening to, I think before the program, Letitia James, who is New York's Attorney General. She posted this on X. Trump repeatedly and consistently lied about his real estate. Lied about the value of real estate to enrich himself. He's repeatedly and consistently lied about the value of his assets to fraudulently enrich himself and his family. Donald Trump might lie, but the facts and the numbers don't. James telling reporters this morning outside the courthouse she expected Trump to engage in name-calling and race-baiting. I'm confident he will engage in name-calling and taunts and race-baiting and call this a witch hunt. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters are the facts and the numbers. And numbers, my friend, don't lie. Those are her words before she walked into the courtroom a little while ago. Here is some additional information from the Washington Post on this civil trial. Are you ready for this? The former president, under questioning over alleged business fraud of the Trump Organization, jabbed at New York Supreme Court Justice Arthur Ingeron for ruling against me because he always rules against me. The judge told Trump to answer the questions he was being asked, then turned to Chris Kyes, one of Trump's lawyers. Mr. Kyes, can you control your client? This is not a political rally. This is a courtroom. A warning from the judge to answer questions without meandering. <laughs> How is this going to go? Just an update on what is taking place in the civil trial happening right now in New York. What a circus, huh? this were not so serious, it would be completely laughable. So stay tuned for developments on this particular case. On the 2024 front, we also have this, an endorsement. An endorsement for president for 2024. And it comes from Iowa's governor. Hmm. Who is Iowa's governor backing? Well, after months of quietly signaling her support for Ron DeSantis, Governor Kim Reynolds will formally endorse the Florida governor for president at a Des Moines rally today. The endorsement is as enormous a win for DeSantis who hopes to harness Reynolds' star power among Iowa Republicans 
as he looks to jumpstart his stagnant campaign, establish himself as a clear alternative to frontrunner Donald Trump in the race's final months. Reynolds plans to speak at DeSantis' pre-debate rally. That happens today, as well as a Davenport meet-and-greet tomorrow morning. She will then fly to Miami to help him fundraise around Wednesday's debate. In an October 25th call with Iowa reporters, DeSantis said earning Reynolds' formal endorsement would be a huge get for his campaign. And it looks like he did get that endorsement. Our good friend Steve Dace, who has made it very clear he is in the camp of Ron DeSantis, as I've said since the year began, this is the first time in decades the endorsement of a statewide GOP official will have real credibility with the grassroots that dominates the caucus turnout. What can Kim provide organizationally? Last cycle, she took out several Republican legislators in primaries who would not sign off on school choice, including the sitting Education Committee chair, and an unprecedented show of force. So Steve Dace making it clear here that this will carry a lot of weight in Iowa. Stay tuned. Coming up, we've heard about Ron. How about Casey DeSantis? Well, she takes a jab at the president and the White House as we continue the broadcast. And some very interesting news out of my former home state of Kentucky. Could a real upset happen tomorrow? We will talk about that and much more as we continue our broadcast. And we're back in the Vince Coakley Radio program. Let's try this again, see if Willie is on the line this time. Good morning, welcome. You know I can't smile if you oh don't my goodness. smile. Oh. I feel sad when you're... Hey, Vince, 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 my good friend Vince. How are you, my buddy, my beautiful person? Hey, listen, great news. I got two tickets for me and you to go see Barry Manilov. I would like to go with you now. To go to see what? Wait, wait, wait. Go to see whom? Barry. Barry oh Manilov. You know. So look. Uh, how about I send my body double to go uh, see that with no, you? No, 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 no. I need you to go with me because we now Vegas could be good for us. We could really blow it out, and we can bring Boomer if you want. And we'll have a good time. What do you think, Ben? Come on now. Let's live a little bit. Come on. Oh, my goodness. Now, I understand anyway, you. I just you, want to wish you a happy Monday, man. You know, I'm, listen, I'm in New York listening to you, and I have a good time, and I'm glad that you're still around. You know, I well, want you to be around when I come back to Charlotte so I can harass you. Okay? I, I'm sure. I'm sure. You have some thoughts on this presidential contest you wanted to share. Well, I wanted to tell you, I'm not very happy and pleased to hear the, the way this thing is shifting. Uh, I guess uh, your buddy Trump may take this all the way. Uh, you know, I don't agree with uh, many of the things that he has done from uh, back in the 80s in New York and his corrupt family and uh, Kushner mafia family as well. But, hey, you know, this is what people want. This is what the, the folks here in the great United States are looking for. And God bless him. I hope he can really do something. I doubt it. Uh, I know he's going to keep breaking the law, that's for sure. Other than that, I'm having a wonderful day here. It's about 55 degrees, nice and clear, and I love you to death. And please let me know if you want to go to Radio City with me or Las Vegas. Love you. Okay. Good to hear from <laughs> My goodness. There's no shortage of entertainment from Willie when he calls in. It's been a while since we have actually heard from him. So there you go. Let's go to... <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Let's go to the wife of Ron DeSantis. This was a pretty interesting little zinger delivered. I do not even know the venue for this. But this clip is really good. Casey DeSantis. And this is the first time I think I've listened to her uh, in this kind of setting. 
but she delivered quite a zinger. Here is Casey DeSantis. Do you know what they're calling you? And I said, no, what are they calling me? They said, Walmart Melania. I said... (laughs) To which I was like, awesome! Like, that's the greatest thing you could call me. For me to be in the same sentence of Melania is a wonderful thing. She's gorgeous. That's great. I love it. Score. And then also, yes, guilty as charged. I shop at Walmart. I have a 6'5 and a 3-year-old. Do you know how quickly they go out of these clothes? I need $2 t-shirts. And especially with Bidenflation and Bidenomics, everything is getting more expensive. And, um, you know, I have to say, speaking of uh, Joe Biden, how nice would it be, by the way, to have a president of the United States to have their kids bring home homework to the White House instead of cocaine? Okay? Oh! Ouch. (laughs) How's that for a zinger? (laughs) My goodness. I mentioned this a few days ago, and I think it's worth repeating again if you perhaps want to maybe do some something to help out a candidate in a race that could be consequential. I'm talking about what could happen in Kentucky, for instance, if Mitch McConnell does not serve out his term. Who would get to appoint his replacement? I'm not trying to be macabre or anything like this. I don't think Mitch McConnell is going to be around. You know, there's a possibility he may not be around for whatever reason until his term ends. I think it's 2026. So we've got a big governor's race. Andy Bashir, who is big into his lockdowns, he is trying to stay in for another term. He's running against State Attorney General Daniel Cameron. For what it's worth, in case you do not remember, Daniel Cameron is the Attorney General. He happens to be black. I think it would be absolutely awesome to have a black Republican governor in Kentucky. This would be extraordinary. Well, a few days ago, I heard the polling was nine points separation with Bashir ahead. Get a load of this. An Emerson College polling survey has now found Bashir and Cameron are tied at 47%. 4% of respondents saying they were undecided. 2% saying someone else. The poll noted the matchup shifts to Cameron receiving 49% and Bashir 48 when undecided voters are asked whom they are leaning toward. And Bashir is fighting for a second term in office after narrowly winning his first term in 2019 against Matt Bevin. Remember him? He was seen as popular in the state. Cameron, who's been endorsed by former President Trump, is sought to hit the Kentucky Democrat on COVID-19 pandemic restrictions and transgender-related legislation that Bashir vetoed. Bashir has been buoyed by unusually strong approval ratings for a red state Democrat. With a 60%, he sought to put Cameron on defense in the issue of abortion. So, I'm... <laughs> In the very least, going to be praying for an upset there tomorrow. I would absolutely love to see Daniel Cameron win this race. And I think I mentioned to you, I really was encouraged to hear from Thomas Massey that he's pretty confident that Mr. Cameron is a good guy. So let's hope there's some good news emanating out of the Bluegrass State tomorrow. That would be stunning. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Final stretch to the Vince Coakley radio program on this Monday. I want to tell you what's going on in the courtroom in New York. This is a story filed just minutes ago. Donald Trump taking the witness stand at his civil fraud trial. 
as he strives to prevent what he calls the corporate death penalty for his namesake real estate company that could potentially result in $250 million in damages and in his ability to do business in New York State. Trump opened his highly anticipated testimony at State Supreme Court in Manhattan by praising how smart his eldest son, Don Jr., is, calling him a very honorable guy. As the morning unfolded, the judge at times seemed to lose his patience with Trump's answers. I beseech you to control him, if you can. <laughs> the judge saying this to Trump lawyer Chris Keis. <laughs> what else has happened here? During a break in his contentious testimony... Trump took the social media to tell supporters he's not apologizing for his aggressive anti-court testimony. This trial is ridiculous. Election interference. He posted this in all caps. Judge Arthur Ingeron has continued to complain Trump is giving broad editorializing answers that aren't focused on the state's questions. Ingeron says if Kais can't control his own client, the judge will do it by excusing Trump and drawing negative inferences against the former president. Kais said the most efficient way to get through this testimony is to listen to what Trump has to say, although he added he's happy to talk to his client about making the answers more contained. Trump attorney Alina Haba also spoke up saying the state isn't getting succinct answers because it isn't asking succinct questions. Haba then drew Ingeron's ire by telling him he's here to listen to what Trump has to say. The judge pushed back and instructed her to sit down. <laughs> this, what a circus. Trump said this is a very unfair trial. I hope the public is watching. After more back and forth between the state and Trump, the state suggested taking a break during which Kais can advise his client. Trump and his legal team exited the courtroom. By the way, Trump sent an email solicitation Monday to his supporters based on his appearance at his civil fraud trial, arguing he shouldn't have to spend a day in court for the sham trial during the presidential campaign. We're watching the ruling party weaponize the legal system to try and destroy its leading opponent by any means possible whether that be removing my name from the ballot, financial ruin, or even imprisonment. This is how dictatorships are born. Some other testimony here, responding broadly to questions from New York Council Kevin Wallace, arguing his financial statements undervalued his assets and didn't reflect the value of his brand. I became president because of my brand, Trump said. He also said he doesn't believe any developer has done a statement so thorough or that lowballed the value of assets so much. Judge Ingeron has spoken up repeatedly already about restricting Trump's answers to the question asked. This is a courtroom. And he said he did not want the witness editorializing. So in any case, this is just a picture of what's taking place in the courtroom. And I'm sure we will hear more later as this circus continues. All right, Mr. Bernie, time for a look at the day in history. How are you? I'm good, Vince. Hope you had a good weekend, man. It was pretty good. Pretty good. good. Well, let's go into seven questions here. This first one, if you don't get this one, <laughs> well, I'm not going to say. Oh. 1820 is the year. <laughs> And this guy's name is Antoine Joseph Sachs. He invented an instrument. Was it the saxophone? <laughs> I hope, I hope, Vince, I'm so happy you said that to start off. I was like, what a way to start off on the wrong foot if I get one wrong. Oh, man. The chances I, of me getting that wrong, though, were very, oh, I would have, yeah. They're very low. Yeah. What you got? 1860. <laughs> we move on to 1860. This guy was the first Republican president. He was elected as president number 16. 1860 is the year. Mm. Who is this guy? 1860. I'm not sure. Any more hints? I can no. give it to you. Uh, yeah, if you want to give me another hint. That'd be Civil fine. War. Oh, oh man. 
The um, I would also add the Emancipation Proclamation. Is this Lincoln? You're absolutely right. Oh wow! Okay, Abe Lincoln, now first know. Republican president. 1869, Rutgers beat Princeton in the first college football game. 1917, Lenin and Trotsky lead the Russian Revolution. Boy, was that glorious. 1945, the first landing of a fighter jet on a U.S. carrier, the USS Wake Island. Here's another uh, allegedly easy one for you. Mm -hmm. Although people in your generation are not really news watchers, are you? No, not really. I mean, I grew up watching a lot of news with my dad, but that's really the... This... News magazine or news morning program opened, debuted on ABC in 1975. What is the name of their morning show? Um, is it Good Morning America? You're right. It's Good Morning America. I was going to say that. I was going to say that. He, of course. He gave me the hint. <laughs> See, I've heard rumors about Mr. Pete in the background no, there. No, 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 no. No, he doesn't kidding. always help me. I'm kidding. <laughs> just having a little fun with you. And last but not least, Australian voters reject a proposal to turn the country into what we allegedly have, which is a republic. A banana so they, republic. Then. They certainly... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just hear it all the time from callers and, I know, and stuff like that. So. Who are concerned that we might be heading down that direction. Yep. So, God forbid... God forbid. Well, that's all the time we have, and we indeed do have Pete Callender coming up next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Thanks very much for joining us in the broadcast this morning. Have yourselves a great day, and God bless you. Adios.